Have a seat, please. We're thrilled that you're with us today. We thank you so much for being a part of our service. Again, welcome to our Easter Sunday morning. I was asked a few days ago if we're having a sunrise service. I was there. Where were you? <laughs> I wake up early every day, so I always have a sunrise service somewhere. Um, but we're thrilled that you're here. We're happy that you came to be a part of our service today. And I pray that the things that I share this morning will bring a renewed awareness of the presence of Christ. That's my prayer and that's my hope. This morning we're going to talk about the fact that He is risen. He's not in the grave. And I want to set the stage for this because I want you to remember there's a pretty good chance that no one outside of Jesus Himself and God the Father knew that He was going to rise. None of the apostles, Mary, his own mother, Mary Magdalene, the other women who were with him so many, many days and months and even years that he engaged in his ministry, none of them expected him to rise. Even though Jesus had told them, I'm going to go, they're going to do these things to me, I'm going to be placed in the tomb, and if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. I don't think anyone got it. I don't think anyone was expecting what happened on the morning of the first day of the week after he was placed in that tomb. And so they came to that tomb and found something that was very, very unexpected. Jesus says a prayer over his apostles before he goes to the garden. And the words of that prayer are this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me and their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then... The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. And I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for them and for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And when he had finished praying, Jesus left his disciples and they crossed into the Kidron Valley. And there Jesus prayed. And some of you remember that he prayed deep prayer with drops of blood. And eventually there were those who came, primarily Judas, one of the apostles, who decided that he would betray the Christ for 30 pieces of silver. They met him in the garden. And Jesus, looking at Judas, he says, will you betray me with a kiss? 
And Judas reaches over and he kisses him to let all of them know that this was the one that they had come for. Jesus asks that those who are with him be spared. He's the only one that they're looking for. Allow the others to go free. So a little skirmish happens because Peter is Peter. And Peter has a sword. And Peter, being the impetuous person that he was, he can't help himself but try to defend the cause of Christ. And he pulls out the sword and he whacks off the ear of one of the men. Jesus heals him. And he basically says, look, Peter, don't you know that this is my time? And this is what has been prepared for me. This is why I have come here. And if God really needed me to establish a kingdom here, he could call down legions of angels and we could defend this thing and we could take it all back. That's not why I came. I came because I have to go to the cross. So Jesus goes to the cross. He goes to, the, to, to where the men, the Caiaphas and the high priests and the others in the Sanhedrin are gathered. He goes and he visits with them. And in the course of this Peter is following him and kind of looking from a distance because Jesus has told him, you're going to deny me. And Peter's just claiming to the end of the day, I'm never going to deny you, Christ. I'll die with you if I have to, but I won't deny you. And then you know the story. Before the rooster crows, Peter denies him three times. And I can't help but wonder how many of us in our walk of faith have made a decision, not because we wanted to, but simply because we are all human and we've denied the Savior. And it's not because we're waiting for Him to go to the cross. It's simply because there's something in our lives, there's something that's going on that's causing us to have that moment of doubt, that moment of self-preservation when someone is attacking us, someone is causing us some uncomfortableness and some discontent, and so we just decide to be quiet. Jesus continues with those who are there to try him. And they bring those to accuse him, and none of them can tell the same story. They can't get their story straight. But Jesus is there. He doesn't say a lot. Finally, they take him back to this gentleman named Pilate. And Pilate sees this man, Jesus, and he's like, what do you want me to do with him? He hasn't done anything worthy of death. Why are you bringing this man to me? He's done nothing. But because of the insistence of those who were leading the Jewish rebellion against the Christ, he finally comes before them and he washes his hands in water and he says, his blood be upon all of you. And they were so bold and brazen to say, not only upon us, but upon our children. His blood will be upon us and our children. Of all the things to say about the Christ. So Jesus is beaten Pilate instructs his guard to take him and to beat him. They put a crown of thorns upon him. They scourge him. And I'm not going to go into the gory details of the scourging, but it was horrible. And it was very painful. And there's only one reason that Jesus did that. It's because of me. And it's because of you. And it's because of all of those people who came before him. And it's because of all of the people who were going to come after him. Because you see, God knew in the very beginning 
when he created the world and he placed us here as men and women, he knew that he had given us free choice and free will. And he knew that if we were given free choice and will, we had an option to continue to follow him or not. And even this very day, even this day, all of us still have that choice. And we get to decide to follow Jesus or not. And so they beat him almost to death before they hang him on the cross. He's bloodied. He's beaten. He's bruised. He's wearing a crown of thorns. And then they make him carry his own cross. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. What is your cross? What is the cross that you bear? All of us have sin. All of us fall short of the glory of God. None of us, not one of us, deserve the cleansing that Jesus offers by the shedding of his blood. But he challenges us and asks us to carry our cross daily. And the hard part is for us is carrying that cross. We just keep doing the same things over and over again. Because we really are creatures of habit. And those habits sometimes are ingrained very deeply into us and into our psyche and into our soul and into our bodies and into our minds. And the things that we don't want to do are the very things that we keep doing. And yet he keeps asking us to bear the cross. There were two men who were crucified with Christ, one on each side, two thieves, probably worthy of the death they received. But the one in the middle, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the one whom God would send to redeem man, to shed his blood for all of us, he is the one that calls our attention and calls us to look to the hill. Because Jesus was on that hill for you and for me. You know, when he prayed in the garden, he said, Father, if there's any way, let this pass from me. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. And while he's on this hill, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God didn't answer. Because the answer has already been given. He loved the world so much that he was going to give his son. I don't understand God. And I'm okay with that. But since the very, very beginning... God, for whatever reason, and it's weird to me, I don't, I don't get it, 
but he's always wanted and he's demanded some kind of a blood sacrifice. Maybe that's, maybe it's because life is kind of in the blood, if you know what I mean. Because there's not a living being in the world, whether plant or animal, that can live without that fluid that flows through. If you cut a tree around the bark and the sap no longer has a way to get up into the tree, the tree will die. If you happen to cut your arm or your leg or your neck deeply enough shaving and it all bled out, you wouldn't live too long. That's why I use an electric razor. It's always been about the blood. It's always been about the blood. And when Jesus went to that cross, he shed his blood for you and for me because of the frailness of life that we live, because of the sin that we have inside of us that we just can't seem to get rid of. Even as hard as you try, you can't get rid of it. And there's not enough of your own blood, there's not enough of my own blood for any of us to satisfy God and to redeem ourselves. And so he shed his blood. His side was pierced and the blood and the water came forth. I'm going to invite the men who are going to lead us to serve the communion to go ahead and go to the back while I share a few things. Jesus died that day on the cross. After he asked God why he had forsaken him, he cried out, cried out with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. They offered him wine or vinegar mixed with water. They offered him a couple of things to try to relieve and he refused them all because he knew the death that he had to undergo. When you and I gather here in this place that we call a church building, we come for an important reason. It's to proclaim again the death of Christ. Yes, today is the resurrection day. It is Easter Sunday, according to our calendar. And we'll talk about the resurrection in a minute. But I want you to realize that when we take this bread and we take this cup, it's about his dying. The apostle Paul instructed us to proclaim his death in the sharing of this communion. And as we share in this meal that we call communion, the Eucharist meal, you and I are sharing in the body and the blood of the Christ. It is his body. It is his blood. And Jesus freaked people out when he was telling them, hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. Because the words that he used when he said that, they weren't just some maybe kind of words. They were like, this is my blood. And this is my body. And if you don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can have no part of me. And, and I'm just telling you, if I stood up here as your preacher and said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be a part of this church. All of you would walk out the door. Because you would think I was crazy. I don't know what there is about the blood. But I know that God has always required blood for cleansing. 
and the wonder and the beauty of the cross. And the reason that we celebrate week after week after week is to remind ourselves again of the sacrifice that Jesus made. His body was pierced and it hung on that cross for us. As we take this bread this morning, I invite you to reflect before you take the bread. I invite you to reflect upon your own life and your own body because you're not only communing with God the Father, you're communing with me and the rest of this body. And I invite you to consider your relationship with God the Father and the Son and the Spirit and with all of us as we take this bread. It went to the cross because of you and me. And as we take this, we proclaim again the death that brings us salvation. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning that is Easter. And Jesus is no longer in the grave. But before he went to that grave, God, he had to hang on the cross. And he suffered amazing agony and pain to get there. Before they even beat him, he swept drops of blood because of the intensity and the pressure that was on him to carry the sins of the entire world. Father, as we take this bread, may we look at our own lives. May we lay our lives before the cross and bow down. And may we ask you forgiveness of all of our sins so that we may take this with a pure and clean heart. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. From the depths of the sea, from the heights of the heavens, your name be praised. From the hearts of the weak, from the shouts of the strong, from the lips of all people, this song we raise, Lord, throughout the Ages, you will be crowned with praises, Lord, most high, exalted in every nation, sovereign of all creation, Lord, most high, be magnified from the ends of the earth, from the, ends of the, earth, from the depths of the sea. Blessed it, and he gave it to those who were at the table with him. And after they took, he then took the cup. And he said, this cup is my blood that is shed for many. And I think in the King James it says, drink ye all of it. He wants all of us to remember the blood that was shed. That blood cleanses you from sin. It 
the letter that John wrote, he says that the blood cleanses us from all of our sin. And the amazing thing about that cleansing is that there is a very specific and definitive point when the blood begins to cleanse you. And it's when you make the good confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you wash away your sins in a watery grave that we've come to call baptism. And from that moment until the day that you draw your last breath and we have your funeral, the blood of Jesus cleanses you. And it doesn't stop cleansing you. There's power in the blood of Christ. Because it is the power that gives you cleansing. And it allows all of us in the family of God to come before the throne of God boldly. Because when God sees us, He doesn't see us full of sin. He sees us through the cleansing of the blood of Christ. Because nothing that is not pure and holy cannot come into the presence of God. And when He sees us, we are pure. And we are holy. Because Jesus' blood cleanses us. So we take this cup. I invite you to reflect upon the cleansing that has been offered on your behalf and continues this very moment to this very time to wash away all of your sins. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this cup which truly represents to us the blood of Jesus. The most significant of sacrifices ever made was the blood that he shed on the cross for the sins of all of the world. And if you allow this world to be here another 10,000 years, the blood of Jesus will cleanse that long. And in the end, we will come and be at home with you. May we reflect on the power that's in this blood, this cup that we'll take at this time. In the name of Jesus, amen. What can be done to an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew. course all of them are true because it's on the internet yes 
There's some that say that there's still blood in the crevices of the rock. The blood of Christ. Don't know. Some say they know where the tomb was, where he was buried. And if you go to the Middle East and you're there around Jerusalem, they'll take you to a place that they believe to be the tomb where Christ was buried. The best part of him going to the cross was when he was buried because three days later he rose from the grave and he's not there. Now try to explain that to someone that's not a believer. You want me to believe in a Savior that you call Jesus who was born of a virgin. And he lived about 30-something years and he never sinned. And he never made a mistake. And then he let a mob of Jewish guys take him before a Roman governor who didn't even think he was guilty and they killed him anyway and they beat him and they hung him on a cross and he died and he shed all of his blood and then they put him in this tomb and they buried it and, and they not only put him in the tomb but they put a big rock over it so nobody could get in there and they sealed it and then on the third day they go to the tomb and he's not there. You, you, you want me to believe that, right? Is that what I'm understanding? And the answer is amen. Because it is true. It is absolutely the truth. There are a lot of people in the world that say, well, you can get to God anyway. Well, I beg to differ. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no man, no one can come to me except can come to the Father except how? Through me, Jesus. Crazy story? Are you kidding me? You think that's crazy? Let me tell you another story that's crazy. Okay? A few billion years ago, there was this thing that happened. And out of nothing, which we can't identify what nothing is, but out of nothing, there was the beginning of this thing that someone would today put in the terms of life. There was this entity that was created and it was microscopic and it was so small it almost didn't even exist, but it did. And over a few billion years, it turned into a clump of dirt that we now call the earth. And, and, and then after all of that happened, this thing kind of morphed itself and it turned into some kind of thing that lived in water. And I'm not really sure where all that water came from, but it came from that same little speck, the thing that happened billions of years ago. And then out of that water, out of that water were these little things that looked kind of like fish, but they weren't really fish because they started kind of walking on their fins. And they walked on their fins so long that they eventually got to stand up. And you know they learn how to breathe outside of the water. And after a few million more years, those little things turned into little, little creatures that had hair. And, and lungs, and they had muscles, and, and they walked on their feet, and they developed arms, and they had legs, and then eventually there was this thing that started walking upright, and it walked kind of humped over for a few million years because it didn't know how to walk upright yet, but eventually it got enough sense about it that it could 
kind of figure out how to talk to each other and, and they could do things and eventually it turned into something that looked like you. I'll take the first story. Jesus is alive. He is alive. He's not in the grave. They put him in there for three days. The women come to the grave. They're sitting around there. They're wondering, who's going to open the tomb? We're going to go see Jesus. And how many of you have ever gone to the, to the graveside of one of your loved ones a couple of days after the funeral's over? I have. It's not an unusual practice. It's not something new. They were going to say hello. They were going to say goodbye. They were going to spend time with their loved one. We still do the same thing. But they get there and he's gone. How would you feel if you went to the grave of your mother or your father or one of your best friends, maybe your spouse, and you get there and all of a sudden he's gone? He's not there. She's not there. How would you feel? I could tell you some stories about that kind of stuff. But I don't have time this morning. But I want you to know that Jesus was not there. These women come to see him. They're freaking out. They don't know where he's at. Where have you taken him? What have you done with him? And the angel said, he's not here. Why are you amazed? Why are you amazed? You knew this was going to happen. Well, they didn't really, but he told them. But why are you amazed? He's risen. This is what he said he was going to do. He's not there. And then Jesus, being the man that he was, walking on the road to Emmaus, he runs across these two guys. And they're just having a little conversation. How's the weather? Oh, it's great. Did you hear what went on in town today? Oh, man, it was crazy. Can you believe all that stuff that happened the other day? They put that man on the cross. They did all stuff. And Jesus like, who are you talking about? What, what are you talking about? They're like, what? Where have you been? Under a rock? <laughs> Pretty quick today. You got that, didn't you? As a matter of fact, I have. That's what he's thinking. They don't get it. They don't know what's going on. And then Jesus, God bless him, he goes and has lunch with them, dinner, whatever it was, opens their eyes to who he was. And then, then he goes to his disciples, his own disciples, and he walks in. Now you got to imagine this with me. Imagine this with me. These men are locked up. They're holed up in a room because they're freaking out because Jesus isn't there. They've been told that he's alive. They've been told he's not in the tomb, but they really don't know where he's at. And then he comes through the door. And it didn't say he opened the door. It says he came through the door. And the first words out of his mouth, peace be with you. Why do you think he said that? Because they were freaking out. I mean, if he walked through your door today at lunch, what would you say? Oh, oh, oh you'd be crawling under the table or something. Jesus said, peace be with you because he needed to give them peace. He knew that they were anxious. He knew that this was going to scare them to death. Peace be with you. My peace be with you. It's still an expression that we can share with people because guess what? The whole world around us is all anxious about everything. They're all uptight about everything. They're anxious about this. They're anxious about that. The greatest expression that Jesus shared after he arose from the dead that we can share is peace be with you. Because I'm telling you, I'm here to profess to you this morning that the only way that any of us in the world, the only way any of us in this church, or anyone that will meet outside of this church, the only way that we can have peace is with Christ. There isn't any other peace. There just isn't any. 
When you and I go to sleep at night, we should sleep like babies. No worries, no anxiety, nothing. Because we have the peace of Christ. So Jesus spends a few days with these apostles and disciples. He sees them, he visits with them over a period of a couple of weeks, three weeks. He spends time with them. He pops in, he pops out. He shows up, he goes away. But in the end, in the end, he calls his disciples together. And he says, I have a message for you. I have one final request. I need you to go into all of the world and I need you to preach the good news. And I need you to take the message of the Messiah. I need you to take the message that I went to the cross for all of their sins. And in going into all the world as you go, I need you to help them understand one thing and really only one thing. There is no other way to the Father but through me. And when they understand that, then I would like for you to ask, ask them of one other thing. Would you ask them to die? Would you just ask them to die? And would you take them to the water? And would you assist them in their death? To the old life that had no peace. To a life that can be filled with eternal peace. Because you see, when Jesus arose, he didn't just save us and cover our sins with the cleansing of his blood. He has now given us the promise and the hope of eternal life with God in heaven. And I don't know about you, but that kind of excites me just a little bit because I've read the book of Revelation and I see some of the description of the city and I'm thinking, this is way cool. When there's streets of gold, I'm thinking that's a pretty good thing. I've seen the asphalt around some cities. I've been on some cement roads that aren't very pleasant. But these are streets of gold, walls of Jasper, and I don't even know what Jasper looks like, except Jasper, Alabama, and if it looks like that, I ain't going. <laughs> I ain't going. I've been to Jasper. But I want you to know that Jesus called his disciples and he calls us to take the message into all the world. And the message is this, I, Jesus, he says, I died for your sins. I went to the cross, I shed my blood. And all I ask from you is to accept me as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have your sins washed away when you die into this watery grave called baptism. And then you rise, you rise to live a new life. And it's a life that will never be the same because the blood of Jesus cleanses you forever of all of your sins. And then he went to the hillside and he went up on the mountain and he ascended into heaven. And they're standing looking around. Where are you going, Jesus? Where are you? What's up? And the angel says, why are you looking for him? He'll be back. And the most exciting part of this whole story to me is the moment when he returns. In the adult class this morning, we spent just a few minutes talking about the fact that our lives have purpose. But sometimes we get confused about what the purpose of our life is. And I shared with them my, one of my most favorite songs in the whole wide world, that song that's, that, that's about, I'm just passing through. 
This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are all laid up. Somewhere beyond the blue. My dad's there. My grandma's there. My friends are there. Scotty's there. And I don't know what it's going to take for you to make the decision to say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. But I just ask you this morning to consider the alternative. Because it's not as pleasant as a home in heaven. Jesus died. But he's risen. And you can die. But you can arise. And so I invite you this morning as we sing this song to consider your walk with Jesus. We're going to sing a song that Brandon selected. And as we sing this song, I want you to listen carefully to the words. And I want you to consider your walk with God. For those of you who have been baptized, I want you to think about this. Do I still believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do I still believe that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all of my sin, even though I have all of this stuff and all of this baggage? You still believe that? Do you still believe that God has called you to be a light in the world around you? For those of you who may not have ever yet taken him and placed him in your heart, I invite you this morning on Easter Sunday to make the good confession and say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. And we will place you in a grave and we will help you die. But I'm not going to hold you down there forever because I'm going to raise you up and you can arise and have new life and be in Christ forever. Let's come and sing this song, Brandon, as we can. Everybody stand. Let's sing together. There is beyond the azure blue a God concealed from human side. He is